four, three, two. The following message, entitled Learn and Live, part one of the series Real Life Wisdom, was given by Joe Ryer on the 1st of September 2013 at Sovereign Grace Church of Indiana, Pennsylvania. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. We're going to start at chapter 1. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Joe. I'm one of the pastors here at Sovereign Grace Church. Thanks for coming this morning. If you're a guest, welcome. IEP students, welcome back. We're beginning a series on the book of Proverbs today, and Lord willing, we'll be doing it for the next two months or so. So it's Proverbs chapter 1. The title of this series is called Real Life Wisdom. I'm going to say a phrase, and I want you to pay close attention to... I'm going to give you two phrases, and I want you to think of which one you agree with, okay? You've got to pay close attention for this. I told my sixth grader, Isaac, this phrase, and, and he had no idea what I was talking about. So, sixth graders, I will explain it in a moment. Live and learn, or learn and live. Live and learn. Is it live and learn, or is it... Learn and live. There's two philosophies of life. One would say, you live, and as you live, you learn. The other would say, you learn first, and then you can truly live. So, here would be sort of a a strange example of live and learn, is you have something burning at your house, uh, a fire, a candle, and you just let your child touch it without telling them anything about the dangers of it. So they touch it, they get burnt, they lived, and they learned. So they will not do it again because there's no instruction. Now that same candle, a way to approach the learn and live philosophy, would be you tell them of the dangers of the fire and the flame and tell them not to touch it. And if they go against you, they're still living and learning. But the idea is, in the book of Proverbs, it is a book of wisdom meant to teach us to learn first and then live. And we live in a society, in a world, that for the most part has a different approach to life. They have the opposite approach. The world would say, just live and learn. So, for example, for teenagers experimenting with alcohol. This was the philosophy I was taught as a teenager, not being raised in a Christian home. Well, well, teenagers just need to experiment to live And they'll learn the consequences as life goes on. It's not that big a deal. Just let them try it. The problem with that philosophy is some teenagers do learn. Many do not. Many get enslaved in drinking and the consequences of drinking. And other sins seem to multiply with that. Where the book of Proverbs would talk about the dangers of getting drunk. The dangers of not heeding your parents' counsel. And they would warn And so, Proverbs would say, learn first, and then you can truly live. And in our our society, probably the, the most glaring example of the philosophy of live first and then just learn through the consequences would be Pine Grove State Prison, the, the state prison in our county. It's filled with young men who lived first and now are learning, some learning for life, the consequences of sinful choices. And so as a 
church, as a church family, we want to pay close attention to the wise counsel and instruction given to us in Proverbs. If you're not familiar with the book of Proverbs, it's 31 chapters. So if you've never read it before, it's been a while, you can read a chapter a day every month. And the way it's broken out is the first nine chapters, the author is appealing to all of us to heed the wisdom of God found in the book of Proverbs. And then 10 through 31 are are just all these short sayings about wisdom. Short, clever reminders of how to live in a way that's pleasing to God. That's all found in this book. So look in your Bibles at Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. We're just going to start the introduction today. And sixth graders, Mr. Mundorf said, write down one thing. One thing you could write down is verse 7 when we get there. Chapter 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Here's the purpose. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing. In righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple. Knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying. The words of the wise and their riddles. Six graders, here you go. Verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord. If you want to be wise, the Bible's telling us it begins with the fear of the Lord. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your Word. Thank You especially for the book of Proverbs and how clear it is. Thank You for the the gift of wisdom. Thank You for all the warnings found in Proverbs. But we want to be a wise church. We want to be wise followers of Jesus. And Jesus, we need your help desperately. And Holy Spirit, thank you that we don't have to work at this alone, but you will give us power from the inside out. And that gives us all the confidence in the world. So Lord, we love you, we trust you, and we look forward to you speaking to us this morning. We ask this in your name. Amen. So the title of the message, I didn't want to tell you on the front end because it gave away my question, is Learn and Live. We're to learn and then you will truly live. Three simple points. The first one is we need wisdom. We need wisdom. I think if you think of your own life, think of the world around us, I think we'd all agree we need wisdom. Proverbs begins in verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon Son of David, King of Israel. Solomon is one of the authors of Proverbs. He's not the only author of Proverbs, but he's the main author of Proverbs. And if you were here for the last month, we were going through the book of Ruth. And we we heard this incredible story how God worked in Ruth's life and Boaz's life. And there's a direct connection to this book in the Bible. Solomon is Ruth and Boaz's great-great-grandson. So there would be no book of Proverbs without the events of Ruth happening. Well, Solomon wrote it. If you know anything about Solomon, he was King David's son. He also was called to be king after his father. 
And when he was called to be king, he prayed for wisdom. And 1 Kings tells us how God answered that prayer. So listen as I read 1 Kings chapter 3. This is after Solomon prayed for, for wisdom from God to be a, a wise king. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand of the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs. His songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of the beasts and of the birds and the reptiles and the fish. And all the people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings in the earth who had heard of his wisdom. That's the primary author of this book, and it's inspired by God. And people traveled from all over the known world just to listen to Solomon. They would pose questions to him, and he would answer in Proverbs, short sayings that that just amazed the people. Well, we need wisdom. And the book of Proverbs is a book designed to give us wisdom. So you might have questions that come to mind like, as a follower of Jesus, how, how should I conduct myself in the workplace? What should I do if people are, are cutting corners and doing things that, that seem dishonest or potentially illegal? What, what should I do? Proverbs answers that question. Or maybe you are in school and people are enticing you to do things that you know you should not do. What, what do you do in that circumstance? Proverbs gives you the answer. Proverbs is packed with wise counsel for everyday life. It's what makes it different than a lot of the books of the Bible. So the Old Testament laws have these big principles that were to honor our parents. Proverbs goes into the details describing what it looks like to honor your parents. How should you respond if you're at school or at a football game or on the soccer field and another kid responds very angrily to you? What, what should you do? When someone yells at you and looks angry and their fist is in your face. Proverbs gives us counsel. Tells us how to handle that situation. So whether you are young or old or in the middle, Proverbs has answers for us all. Ray Ortland Jr., who's a pastor, who wrote a book, a commentary on the book of Proverbs, has a great quote about Proverbs. He says, as we come to the book of Proverbs, God does not intend to crush us with layer upon layer of demand. He intends to help us. That's one way, if you could just see Jesus just helping you through the book of Proverbs, saying, learn and live from this book. The book of Proverbs is practical help from God for weak people like us, stumbling through daily life. It is His counsel for the perplexed, His strength for the defeated, His warning for to the proud, his mercy for the broken. The book of Proverbs is the gospel. Good news for the inept through the wisdom of another. It really is 
good news for people like us. We have every reason to receive it with a whole heart. I don't know about you, but when I became a Christian, it wasn't like I was suddenly wise. All it really meant was all my sins had been forgiven, and, and that's, that was my starting place. I had done a lot of foolish things as a teenager, so I wasn't starting with wisdom. I was starting with Jesus saved me from my sins, and I was grateful. But I had so much to learn, and I still have so much to learn. So we need wisdom. I just want to give you a sampling as the introduction to Proverbs of just some of the different categories that, that Solomon and the other authors help us with, with wisdom. So we need wisdom in responding to angry people. You can't live in the world without encountering someone who is very angry. Proverbs 15.1 says this, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A soft answer, a soft, kind response. It doesn't match the intensity of the anger, anger that you're receiving. It turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. When I was a teenager, I was a cross-country runner, so we'd run all over York County, and I didn't know this proverb. I wasn't taught this proverb. I didn't know much about the Bible. And so one day, I was running with a good friend of mine, and a car with other teenagers in it came flying by us, and the guys were yelling in an angry way. They, they almost hit us. So we responded in the opposite of a, a soft answer turns away wrath. So, so we were yelling stuff back to them. They were yelling back to us. And what happened was these guys, they decided to pull their car, stop it in the middle of the road, and they reached behind their seat and they were holding baseball bats. And we thought, oh no, <laughs> that was a bad idea. Well, fortunately we were runners, so this, this isn't going to build any hero stories. We ran away and we were fine. But the story could have gone a very bad direction, because we didn't give a soft answer. I gave a proud, angry response. How dare someone talk to me? I'm going to match it and even up at one. And, and it could have ended very poorly. But that is a, a truth from God's Word, that when people respond in an angry way, whether people in your workplace, at school, around town, or in your own home, respond with anger, a soft answer often will turn away wrath. So God gives us wisdom. We need wisdom. We need wisdom in how to pursue finances, how to handle our finances. Proverbs has a lot to say about money and how to get money and what to think about money. Listen to this, Proverbs 6, 6-11. through 11. Go to the ant. Find out what you thought he was going to say. Go to the ant, so just an ant crawling around. Oh, sluggard, lazy man. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. So he's saying, lazy person, go look at the ant. See how diligent the ant is to gather food. And then he says to the sluggard, Verse 9, how long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, 
a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want or lack like an armed man. So this proverb is filled with imagery. And he's, he's correcting someone who is too lazy to do anything about their lack of provision, their lack of food in this case. And he's telling them to, to get up. Look at the ant. Look how much the ant just works, 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 works. You need to get out of bed and you need to work. Now he he's has an able-bodied person in mind. A couple more proverbs about wisdom for our finances. Treasures gained by wickedness do not pro- profit. Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit. In other words, gaining money by illegal activity will never profit. Now, you might have a lot of cash in your pocket for a short amount of time, but I promise you, God's Word promises you, it will not profit. It will not end well. Uh, Proverbs 10.4 says, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Proverbs 12.11 says, Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. So you put all these together. What, what the author is saying here is basically this. God's general way, normal way to provide for us as men and women in this world is through our regular hard work day after day, month after month, year after year. And so when you see a sign on a telephone pole that says you can make $6,000 a week by doing nothing but stuffing envelopes and then mailing them out, um, Proverbs would say, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Or someone who's trying to get rich quickly. it's, It's too good to be true. If it was true, we might all quit our jobs and stuff envelopes and we'd all have more money. But it's not true. The general way is hard work. And so Proverbs is just packed with these clever little sayings to get our attention. And particularly if, we, if we're able-bodied, we're able to work, but we choose not to. God would say to us, no, learn and live. Consider these truths and work hard. And God will provide for you. So we need wisdom with our money. We need wisdom with our friendships. And this isn't just for kids and teenagers. This is for all ages. We need wisdom. Proverbs 13.20 says, Whoever walks with the wise will become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Whoever walks with the wise... So in our New Testament world, with our New Testament lens, whoever walks with Christians who are seeking to live for the Lord and honor God will become wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. In other words, who we hang out with on a regular basis will have an effect on our behavior. It will have an effect on how we live before God what we think about God, it will have an effect. And this morning as I was going through my notes, I was thinking that every time as a teenager, starting even before I was a teenager, fifth and sixth grade, when I entered a a new sinful pursuit, whenever I crossed a new line of sinful pursuit, I never did it alone. I always did it with a group of people. So the first time I stole something, 
I wasn't by myself. The first time I drank beer, I wasn't by myself. And as things progressed, I, I hung out with fools and I became a fool. I didn't walk with the wise. I stayed away from the wise and was a companion of fools. God, in His Word, gives us wisdom both for parents and talking to our children and just for us in our own lives to seek out friends who, who push us towards our relationship with the Lord, help us think about the Lord. It doesn't mean we don't talk to people who aren't Christians, who aren't doing this, but a companion is someone different than someone we just talk to, than an acquaintance. This is people that we hang out with all the time on a regular basis. Proverbs 10.1 says, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Do not do it. That one truth could have spared me and my parents massive grief during my teenage years. If I would have done just one thing in the Bible, which was chapter 10, verse 1, if sinners entice you, do not consent. I would have had an entirely different teenage Years. So, kids who are in elementary school, sixth graders who are in the room this morning, teenagers, by the grace of God, ask God to help you to do this. When, when people are enticing you to do things that you know are contrary to God's Word and God's will for you, ask God for the strength and the power to not go along with them. You will never regret it. It will seem Awkward, it will seem uncomfortable, you will feel weird in the inside. But as time goes on, I promise you, you will be so glad and so grateful. You will never regret it. Proverbs gives us wisdom in friendships. Parents, Proverbs gives us lots of wisdom in parenting. Parenting is probably like many things in life, a strange thing. It's, you read books about it, you think about it. We know tons of parents before we are parents. So it just seems like, it's really not that hard. At least that's what it thought to me before I was a parent. So you where I was coming from. But I remember leaving the hospital. I didn't even know how to put the car seat in the, the car for Isaac, and the nurse is helping me. And you get home, and I think it was just a surreal experience. Like, I, I don't think they know that. We don't really know what we're doing at all. I, I don't think the hospital knows that. I know my son Isaac doesn't know that. Um, but here we are. And, and, you know, the first few months are crazy. You're not sleeping. It's, it's, it's crazy. But then you get in a groove and it feels okay. And then something happens to this cute little child. It happens between the ages of one and two that this little cute child has this rebellious monster growing on the inside that's just covered in all their cuteness. And it starts to come out in this very, very defiant way. Well, that's when we realize we really do not know what we are doing. Well, Proverbs gives us a lot of help. Let me just read uh, two or three different Proverbs on parenting. First one is, is with the, the idea of restraining the little monster that is clothed in cuteness that's coming out. Proverbs 13:24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. A two-year-old rebel, unrestrained, undisciplined, turns into a four-year-old rebel, a six-year-old rebel, a 10-year-old rebel, a 13-year-old rebel, a 20-year-old rebel. It just grows and progresses. But God gives moms and dads who fear Him and love Him to restrain that. 
Proverbs 19:18. Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. <laughs> you know a dad wrote that. Eh? So there's hope. Moms and dads, no matter what age your child is, there is hope. But if you're, your parent, or if you're a parent of a child who is still in the home, there is hope. We're to discipline, and the discipline changes as the years go by. We have lots of good books in our bookstore that describe that in great detail. But there's hope. There's hope as we discipline our children. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. We're to train. We're to teach. We're to instruct. We're to tell them about Jesus at a young age. I can remember Isaac, who is a sixth grader. He's 11. I can remember when he was very young, we started with this book called My First Book of Questions and Answers. It's a little catechism about the Bible. And before he could pronounce the word Trinity, he was saying what the Trinity was. There's one God. He exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And, and that's what we're to do. We start young and we keep doing it. We keep training. We keep telling them this is God's world. And we're to live for Him. And this truth of Proverbs 22, 6 should give you heart. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So parents, take heart. If you've drifted, if you've drifted in training and disciplining, just start again. We have a God who is gracious and kind and He will help you. So God's Word in Proverbs gives us lots of help in parenting. One of the major themes in Proverbs is wisdom in sexual purity. Proverbs has some very surprising things to say that may even at first read, seem, wow, that's rather explicit. But it's because of the the things that are at stake with sexual immorality. So I just want to read one section from Proverbs chapter 6. There's wisdom in pursuing sexual purity. Here's what the author says, chapter 6, verses 23 through 29. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. So he's just making a case for wisdom in Proverbs, verse 24. To preserve you from the evil woman, could be the evil man, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, or his beauty in your heart. And do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread. But a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? The obvious answer is no. Or can he walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So he who goes into his neighbor's wife, none who touches her will go unpunished. This is a strong warning from God And there's multiple warnings in this subject in the book of Proverbs. Because God wants us to treat the gift of sex within its proper bounds. And this proverb doesn't just warn those of us who are married as husband or wife, but everyone who could be tempted to sin in this way. What a memorable phrase. You cannot carry hot coals 
in your lap without getting burnt. There's a God who is holy in heaven. And He set up parameters for a number of things for our good and our benefit. And from this, He is warning us. So as you read through Proverbs, there will be a number of things like that that are just helpful warnings. As followers of Jesus, we want to live for Him. Second point, we must continue to grow in wisdom. We must continue. No matter if you are a fool right now, or you are simple, you are naive to the dangers of the world we live in and the sin that remains in your own heart, or you are wise and you have followed Jesus for decades, we must continue to grow in wisdom. Look at verses 4 through 7. Here's the purpose. To give prudence to the simple. To those who is just lacking wisdom, the naive. Knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Fear of the Lord's beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. In these seven verses, and really throughout the book of Proverbs, there are three main characters that we regularly encounter. Times are described by different names, but the three main characters are the wise man, the fool, and the simple. The simple, in Proverbs, is someone who is naive. They, they are naive when it comes to the dangers of sin and its consequences. And they need helped. They need instructed. They need encouraged. And so, parents, we may have a lot of simple young children in our home or teenagers in our home. They, they need us. Teenagers, you need them. You need your mom and dad. You need them a lot more than when, when they brought you home from the hospital. Now, it might seem like basic needs they were helping you with, and they were but the, the choices you make in the 13 to 20-something category can have wonderful benefits for the Lord, or they can have lifelong devastating consequences. And it's very normal for teenagers to not see the wisdom of their mom and dad. And I was in that group as a teenager. It's very normal for the, when they cross over into the 20-somethings, to look back and say, wow, they, they really knew what they were talking about. And I wish I would have listened. Well, we want you to learn and live. We don't want you to crash and burn and get picked up out of the dust. We want you to learn and live now. So kids, teenagers, pray, God, help me to really believe that my mom and dad can help me. That they really can encourage me to follow Jesus while I'm young. And they really might know something more than I think they know at this point. That's the simple. The fool in the Bible is further down the line. They have progressed to a point where they, they don't think they need God at all. The psalmist says about the fool, the fool says in their heart there is no God. A fool doesn't believe God exists. A fool doesn't believe that when they sin, they're sinning against the holy God. A fool doesn't believe that there are earthly consequences and eternal consequences. 
And from probably age 12 to 19, I was a full-fledged fool. There was no simple about it. I did not believe in God. I did not fear God. And I lived for myself. And there's probably some of you fellow fools in this room this morning. One of the things I love about the Proverbs and the Bible is even fools have hope. Even the ones who don't believe and mock have hope. Think about this. Jesus came to earth to save fools. He loves fools. And there's a number of fools captured in the Gospels. You think of Zacchaeus, the wealthy tax collector. He did everything with his finances that Proverbs told him not to do. He was dishonest. He used his money for himself, not for the good of others. And Jesus came into his life, forgave him of his sins, and gave him new life. You think of the woman at the well who had five husbands, and the man she was living with was not her husband. He gave her real, true life for the first time. You think of the prostitute described who was demon-possessed. Jesus comes in, delivers her of demons, and forgives her of all her many sins. So even if you find yourself this morning in a place where you don't believe in God, but Jesus came to save you, He can help you. He can rescue you. He can change you. Even fools have hope. So moms and dads, if your son or daughter, whether at the home or out of the home, would presently fall into that category, take great heart. We have a Savior who came to save foolish, rebellious sinners. He loves to do it. And it brings Him lots of glory. The last group that's described in the Proverbs over and over again, is the wise man. Proverbs says you rebuke a wise man and he becomes wiser. You correct him and he thanks you. And he does what you say. So this room is filled with many wise people. Keep pursuing wisdom. So how does a person go from being foolish to being simple to becoming wise or even further growing in wisdom? Verse 7 gives us the answer. Ultimately, it's the grace of God. But verse 7 describes what that key belief and understanding is that that helps us to grow. Last point, wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 7 says, verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The basis for all wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So six fears. This is what I told you to write down. Well, what is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is the awareness of who God is. That the God who made everything is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing, ever-present, fully aware of everything we do, every action, every thought. God knows all and sees all. He's your creator, your maker, your sustainer, your master. If you've trusted in Him, your Savior. If you've trusted in Jesus, He is your Father. You belong to Him. And so to fear the Lord is to worship Him and submit to Him and go by His rules because they are for your good and for your joy. 
So the fear of the Lord is so important for us as Christians. Christians can do very foolish things. We can sin in very significant ways. And it's the fear of the Lord that's meant to help us. The awareness of who God is. I live just about 10 miles away from here, a little bit in the country. For those of you who really live in the country, I don't really live in the country. But I live in the country enough to have bears come through our yard. So last month, it was about 8 o'clock in the evening. Um, We were playing Nerf guns, all three of my children and me. We were shooting each other. And I was running full speed. I was in the lead. And I came right around our sunroom. And what I'm told now is a two-year-old black bear was just running perpendicular in my path. And we stopped, we panicked, and everybody got in. And I yelled and clapped and tried to do everything I could ever remember reading about bears. And, and the bear ran away. Well, this past week, my wife Mary talked to our, another neighbor, and he had a much larger bear in his yard who could not be scared away. And this bear was trying to get into his truck. He must have had food in his truck. And he, he couldn't deter the bear. Well, the reality of bears in my backyard has changed my behavior when I go outside. <laughs> there is an awareness. Yesterday morning, I left, right when, I left our house right when the sun was coming up. And I'm told that's not a great time. You know, bears could be cruising around. So I'm, I'm more alert. I'm more aware. Or when it's getting close to dark, I'm much more aware. When our children are in the backyard, I'm, I'm aware. I'm aware that there could be a wild animal who is large in our backyard. And it, it just changes my behavior. Well, that's how the fear of the Lord should function for a Christian. We don't have to fear being punished, but there should be an awareness that we live for and serve a God who is holy, a God who knows all and sees all. One of the Proverbs that has helped me really since day one of following Jesus is Proverbs 15.3, where the, the proverb goes like this, The eyes of the Lord are in every place. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. God sees all and He knows all. And if you believe that, that changes your behavior. That changes when you are tempted as a follower of Jesus to do something that Jesus would say no to It restrains you. It has an effect on you. Let me just talk to the the teenagers and the college students, those of you who maybe are on the brink of going either way. I'm either going to follow Jesus or I'm going to experiment with major sin in in a big way. Your biggest problem, if you choose to turn away from Jesus and follow sin, is not your mom and dad finding out. If you live at home, that's not your biggest problem. Your biggest problem isn't getting arrested. Your biggest problem isn't even getting kicked out of school, be that high school or college. Your biggest problem, you are sinning against a God who knows all and sees all and has made you to be a worshiper of Him, and you are rejecting Him. And His kindness, He gives you moms and dads that have consequences, and you live in a country where there's laws, where there's consequences if we break them. But your first step to wisdom is recognizing there is a God who is your sustainer and master, and you need to turn to Him. 
And when you turn to him, it doesn't mean all the fun is over. It means real joy, lasting satisfaction, deep love and affection from God himself will be poured into your life. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And when we fear the Lord, it drives us to Jesus. It makes us so grateful that Jesus lived for us and died for us on the cross and paid for all our sins as our substitute. We'll just quote, uh, close with another quote by Ray Ortland Jr. He says, The book of Proverbs is a gospel book because it's part of the Bible. That means the book of Proverbs is good news for bad people. It's about grace for sinners. It's about hope for failures. It's about wisdom for idiots. He's just calling it like it is. This book is Jesus himself coming to us as our counselor, as our sage, as our life coach. The Lord Jesus Christ is a competent thinker for all times and all cultures. He is a genius. And he freely offers even us his unique wisdom. Not only was Jesus a genius, is a genius, a wise sage, but he's the only one who perfectly applied the book of Proverbs. He's the only one that has done everything correctly. He perfectly obeyed and fulfilled every proverb. He handled his money the right way. He handled his friendships the right way. He handled purity the right way. And that's the good news for us. He did all that so he could be our substitute. So he could pay for our sins. And when we trust in him, his perfect obedience is credited to us. So as we pursue wisdom, as we grow in wisdom, we have Jesus as our righteousness, as our help, and as our hope. So as we go through Proverbs for the next few months, may we learn and live. Let me pray, and as I pray, the band can come up. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for everyone that's here this morning. Lord, You know where all of us are, whether we are simple or foolish or wise. We all need You desperately. And Jesus, give us faith as we sing this last song. There's no one here this morning who is without hope. And I pray they would experience that hope as we sing the final song. Would you fill us with your spirit again and amaze us with your love. And Lord, we just look to you and ask all this in your name. Amen.